0: We're out front Brass. Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Monday appearance, is the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. In what follows, as he is wont to do, as he is wont to do, Dave Cameron analyzes all baseball. Whether it's a good thing or not, much of what follows, much of this episode is dedicated to the Pittsburgh Pirates. For example, the Pirates have had a rather excellent first half and uh, rather poor second halves over the last two seasons. Dave Cameron explains why that's irrelevant to their 2013 season. What ways could the Pirates get better in the second half uh, without actually doing anything? That's a second consideration. And finally, with regard to Pedro Alvarez. He's been worth two wins over 300 or so plate appearances to begin the season. Might we consider his development as a prospect and a major leaguer a success? All those such things are considered in what follows. Uh, what is it? It's fangraph Studio. It features managing editor Dave Cameron... And it begins right now. How you doing? Good, how are you? Good. Well, well, still in Michigan? I am.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Still uh, married?
0: Yeah, uh, barely. But but that's always a, you know, uh, that's a daily question. Yeah, not changing. No. It's a daily question, yeah. I want to, uh, let's see. Just, uh, checking the levels here.
1: Of course.
0: Um, I want to say this, Cameron. I don't know, I don't know, uh, so last week we submitted, uh, we appealed to the readership, the listenership. Yeah. Um, we both had a couple of, um, I guess life concerns, uh, life yeah. events, uh, happening. Mine concerned, yeah. Uh, investing for the future. Right. Yours gives her the acquisition of a new animal. Yes. Has that happened yet?
1: Uh, we get it on Wednesday. Okay. We, yeah, like, the person who rescued the dog was apparently very picky, so she's doing a home visit to make sure we're appropriate pet owners.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, have you learned anything over the, past, over the course of the past week about animal ownership or ways that you might impress upon uh, this surrogate owner that you're qualified.
1: Uh, well, I do, I've learned that pets are expensive. I knew mean, that, uh, you know, all the things just about to prepare for a, uh, a young animal to join your home or it's uh, it's not cheap. I, I apparently should also be concerned about investing in the future so that I can pay, pay for my pet.
0: Oh, right. So that's another concern. Yeah, I don't know if there's a fund for that. No. Did you receive any? Yeah. You receive any feedback from the readership?
1: Uh I did not the only comments I saw in response to our podcast last week were maybe the grumpiest guy in the history of the world telling you your stock uh suggestions were terrible. Uh and then someone telling that guy to not be so grumpy.
0: Oh yeah. So there's a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of uh, dissent within the uh within the ranks. Um I was did
1: you happen to see that guy's comment?
0: I did, I saw that comment. I actually received a number of um uh via Twitter a number of suggestions though, and I also received a long and very sweet email from a uh, personal financial advisor based in Tuxedo, New York, who is a listener of the podcast. Well, Tuxedo, uh, no, I
1: didn't know who to look
0: for it. Listener listener Bill from Tuxedo, a uh, financial advisor from that area and uh, sent sent me a couple of very thorough emails uh, regarding wow. what I ought ought to look for and not not to look for. Yeah. Um, hey. Yeah. So it's uh, was helpful. So what I was going to say is if you had any more personal appeals consider Consider bringing them to the podcast. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, well, you know, I didn't really prepare personal appeals, so maybe in future weeks I will. I will note that this is a new segment uh, yeah. we're going to do, and uh, I will consider things to uh, to ask the audience. that at this moment, I, I did
0: not. Have no, 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 that's fine. I know I didn't. I didn't prep you on that, but yeah, it's uh, what I would. What I would, will invite you to do is to abuse the uh, podcast, the media vehicle of uh, FanGraphs. And, uh, or the, at least the, the audio version of it, uh, to, to your own ends, so that you can make your own life better.
1: That, that is really my entire goal, is to use phantographs to better my own life.
0: Yeah, so there you go. Well, I guess, I mean, in some ways it is. You know, you know, I mean, you, uh, make a living from it. Something close to a living. Right. If you can call that. I mean, a, that,
1: yeah, right. well, <laughs> I'll keep that comment to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Wisdom has overcome me, and so I will choose not to
0: talk. hmm okay well uh let's uh we, we won't delay uh, so long this week as we did last week the, uh, the topic of the day at least so de- so far as Dave Cameron is concerned uh, the topic of the day is the pirates uh curiously dominant so far the pirates I believe if I'm not mistaken they feature the best record in the major leagues yes they do right now you, you have a you have an article about it discussing uh, what we can and uh, what we can know what we do know about the pirates And uh, I guess how that relates to what uh, we we can know and what we do know about what they'll do in the future. Of course, we know less about what they'll do in the future uh, because that's how the future works. But here's the thing. Here's the thing is that uh, my guess is that there are a number of Pirates fans. Uh, There are a number of other casual fans who say, listen, the last two seasons, the Pirates have been not not the best team in the league, but have been above 500 uh, at the All-Star break or at a point later than that and then they have tanked the last two seasons. What, Dave Cameron, uh, what what could you tell me with regard to that? C- or could you somehow persuade me that they are not going to tank again?
1: Uh, well, I think the, the easiest answer, and you know, maybe not a satisfactory one for people who believe in the predictive power of second half splits, but uh, the easiest answer is that the people wearing the laundry that says Pirates on them are not the same players as the last couple of years. So essentially the argument that the Pirates are doomed to collapse in 2013 because they collapsed in 2011 and 2012 is that player performance is not uh, really what matters, but it's the logo on the front of the jersey that determines the events in the future, which is ridiculous. <laughs> like, to be honest, there's no reason to think that Russell Martin is going to struggle in the second half because Michael McHenry did last year, or that, uh, you know... Jason Grilly is due for a big regression because Joel Hanrahan wasn't able to save games as well in the past. I mean, these are not the same players. They did not have Francisco Liriano last year. Uh, You know, they didn't have Starling Marte last year. You know, it's not the same roster. It's not the same construction of players. And wait, if Um, I can interrupt,
0: if I can interrupt, Cameron, even the same players aren't the same players, right? They're they're different.
1: I mean, Like, they might have had Mark Melanson last year, but he wasn't Mark Melanson, amazing setup guy. And Jason Grilly wasn't, you know, dominating closer Jason Grilly. And uh, A.J. Burnett wasn't pitching as well. And certainly you don't want to look at first-half performance and say, oh, well, this is their new established level that they're going to play at the rest of the year, but player performance is changing. And, you know, Neil Walker looks like he might be getting a little bit better. And there are reasons to believe that the players currently on the Pirates are better than they've been in the past, uh, even the holdovers. And they've gotten rid of a lot of the guys who weren't very good and were responsible for a lot of those second-half collapses and replaced them with better players. So unless you believe that the sole reason and the sole determining factor of future performance is uh Jersey Logo, then uh, there's no reason to think that the past second-half wins are predictive.
0: Now, I would like to uh, note, I, uh, the listener, the attentive listener might have noted that uh, Dave Cameron mentioned that Mark Melanson was on the Pirates last year. I think that was not the case.
1: Did they get him over the
0: winner? I think they did from, for, for, for okay. Joel, Joel Hanrahan. Yeah, They, they would not no, the, Well, him. he's
1: been traded like 17 times. Alright, It's right. hard to keep up with Mark Volanser.
0: Now, one thing, in terms of looking at how a team can improve or, uh, w- w- you know, will improve at the break, or if they're destined for decline, is to say, is to look at the performances of players to date. Now, you mentioned in your, in your piece today that the Orioles have not necessarily, uh, regressed to, to sort of what one might have considered their true talent record last year because because, as we're mentioning for the Pirates, because they changed over the course of of the off season, uh, they're they're a different team insofar as Manny Machado uh, has established himself as um, um, one of the very excellent young players in the league right now, and Chris Davis has become something that I, you know, there was probably in terms of projections there was probably a one or two percent chance of Chris Davis becoming what he is right now, maybe less than that, I don't know, um, but. Um, so uh, one one thing we look at right with regard to the Pirates is uh, in, a, in a way that I think you introduced me to that teams get better is is by even even adding average players to positions that have been underwhelming to date. I, I think you quote the right field line, the line of uh, right fielders for the Pirates thus far this year, which would be a combination of uh, Garrett Jones and Travis Snyder. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I and mean, other players have played there as well, but those two are, have been fairly regular lineup staves. Both have been terrible.
0: Yeah, they, they've been poor. So, so now, do you say, do you say, if you're Neil Huntington, um, or you're just, you know, you're a fan of the Pirates, do you say, well, I expect that the, that position will, by its very nature, improve because those guys uh, aren't that bad in terms of uh, whatever their true talent is. Or if you're Neil Huntington, for example, are you saying, mm, I'd really like to have a solution in in right field? Uh, you know, in place uh, for the stretch run.
1: I think I'm probably saying both of those things. I mean, I think, like, you know, I'm not so desperate to make a trade that I'm, you know, trading Jamison Ty on for Alex Rios. It's not one of these situations where you want to say, okay, we have this giant hole in right field. It's not going to get any better. We must be desperate and panic and overreact. You don't want to do that. But at the same time, uh, acquiring a better right fielder than Garrett Jones or, or Travis Snyder isn't that difficult. And also you can still have Jared Jones and Travis Snyder even after you acquire a better right fielder and now you have multiple players, you have Jared Jones coming off the bench to consider, you have some depth in case someone gets hurt. Uh, you know, you have flexibility in your roster by acquiring an upgrade in right field. So I think that, you know, the pirates should look at their right field situation and say, Yes, these guys are likely to perform better in the future than they've performed in the past, but also we should still replace them because well, we're better off with a guy like Alex Frios or Nate Sherolds or whichever Available outfielder, they decide to go get, uh, along with Garrett Jones and Gerardo Snyder in the organization, um, in order to have depth and redundancy, and and to give them more options and and to make them better overall for the stretch run.
0: You know, with regard to Nate Scherholz, uh, now I know that you've mentioned him as a as a sort of player that teams uh, would would do well to target um because yep. he's he's likely not going to cost that much either in terms of uh re- remaining salary or probably in terms of uh, just price tag uh, what he'd require uh from the Cubs or what would require from the Cubs in terms of a trade. Uh the a question that that uh especially with regard to the Pirates here that brings up. Now uh, Travis Snyder has been with the team for about a year. I think he came over during the last trade deadline, Does that sound
1: right? Yeah, I think they got him uh last year for Brad Lincoln.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. That sounds about right. And then, of course, Garrett Jones has been there for a while. Um, right. so here's a question, though. You you bring in Nate Schultz. Nate Schultz might be talented. He might have certain talents that would allow him, especially against right-handed pitchers, to play at an above-average level. Uh, I don't think – does Garrett Jones know that, though, right? Because th- this, is, this is different than, than bringing in Alex Rios because Alex Rios – has sort of gravitas in ter- so far as his name is concerned and his identity as a baseball player. He's done things. Whereas uh, Nate Scherholz, you know, has more or less been, uh, you know, he's been a platoon player uh, for a lot of his career. He's moved around. He's signed league minimum contracts. Uh, is there any way that we know of, the, or do we know anything about the likelihood of being able to install a player like Sherholtz over players like uh, Snyder and and especially Jones, who have been more established with the team, and there may not be any immediate. It may not be. A, uh, it may not. Um, those players may not immediately recognize Scherz's talent.
1: Yeah, I don't think that actually is all that big of an issue. I think essentially you just go to Nate Sherold and, and tell Snyder, and "Say you're hitting two ten, so we're benching you," mm-hmm. and they understand that. I think like in your own nature. Uh, my guess is that Garrett Jones and Travis focused focus primarily on their own performance, which they, they know has been poor, at least relative to their expectations. Uh, I would assume that they're self-awareness, they're self-aware enough to know that they have not played very well this year. And if you play pretty poorly for three months for a first place team, I think you expect that you're gonna get replaced. I know that if I was, if I felt like I was doing a poor job, uh, managing pangraphs and writing articles, I would expect at some point David Appleman would say, you know, you're no longer going to work for us. You just aren't getting it done. I'm going to replace you. Uh, and I wouldn't necessarily feel uh, that was unjust if I felt like I was doing a bad job. So I think it's one thing to displace a guy, uh, you know, who's maybe an average player because you're trying to make an upgrade and, you know, well, we have this shiny new thing, but the average player maybe thinks he's doing a good enough job to not lose his job. In the case of Snyder and Jones, I think both of them, if they were being honest with themselves, and say, I haven't performed well enough to keep my job, uh, therefore the organization should replace me with someone else. They might not know that Nate Shearholz is, uh, you know, turned into a pretty good player with the Cubs, but they, I don't think they would respond poorly to the fact that they were getting replaced regardless of who it was, because they know that their own performance just hasn't been good enough.
0: Now it should be noted that the Pirates are doing this, or what they've done of late in particular, without uh, Aj Burnett, who was fantastic over with like the first two plus months of the season, I think about. Uh, they're also yeah. doing it without Wandy Rodriguez, who uh, I don't, I actually don't even necessarily know how good he was to begin the season, but he's he's someone who you think has like a reasonably high floor in terms of being able to add value uh, in the starting rotation. Right, he was
1: perfectly solid. so he wasn't spectacular. I think in the he was like three point six, for the you in the, the forwards I mean, he's not a He's not Nate, but he's a very solid middle no rotation ending either.
0: Uh, so, I, I, do we do we have a sense of when these guys are coming back, or um, or are, uh, the, are uh, the Pirates just? Do they have who they have right now? I, I think
1: Burnett. There's no real timetable. Uh, you know, the last I heard is he wasn't yet ready for rehabs to Earth or any kind of. Uh, he wasn't close to a return, so uh, I would imagine both of them are, are going to be back before the end of the season. But I haven't heard definitive dates. I think Juan is closer than Burnett. Uh, and could be back sooner than later, but uh, Burnett, it might be an August, even maybe even a September thing, uh, depending on how long it takes him to get back. Um and I do think, that, you know, the Pirates need to think about acquiring another starting pitcher. Uh, Jeff Locke is not going to keep posting an ERA of 2.1, uh, he's just not that good. Um, and Derek Cole, you know, has certainly got some good stuff, but there's some inconsistency there, and I think you have to wonder how much you can rely on him in a pennant race, especially with potential inning limits and, and pitch count questions. Um, so considering the health questions around those guys and, and the lack of depth at the back end, uh, the Pirates should almost certainly be uh, very aggressive in trying to pick up a better starting pitcher.
0: Here's another question. Uh, with regard to the Pirates, uh, Pedro Alvarez is having yeah. a kind of a... St- a strange year. Um, yep. He strikes out so much. Yeah. Um, and he walks, uh, I guess, a decent amount. Yeah. Right. But it's it could be because he swings and misses so often that he's just right. getting deeper into counts. Uh,
1: right.
0: And yet he's hit a bunch of home runs. Uh, he's, you know, he's he's hitting at a, a rate that's about twenty percent above league average after adjusting for park. It, he was the second overall pick uh in 2008 yeah. and my question to you is at this point if you're the pirates do you regard that as a su- as a success uh, or are you still is the jury source uh, still out on pedro alvarez
1: yeah i don't think it's a success i think pedro alvarez is a disappointment who is not totally useless but he's a disappointment nonetheless i mean he's essentially an average player at this point uh and you know there's so much swing in this game it wouldn't be so shocking if if that went away again i mean he's definitely for you know a lot of power in order to even be an average player, given how much uh, problems he has making contacts. So I think if you look at what Alvarez was supposed to be uh, coming out of college, it's hard to paint him as anything other than a disappointment. And I think you know the Pirates would have had higher hopes for, for Alvarez and, and probably will be looking for his replacement within a couple of years.
0: Right, although it should be noted that he was picked behind Tim Beckham, who has not even played a major league sure. game. So, right. That
1: was, that was not a fantastic draft overall.
0: I was looking at it right now. Actually, it's a little bit of a silly draft. Uh, although yeah. it should be noted that Buster Posey was taken fifth overall, and he's turned out all right. He
1: he's been okay. I, mm-hmm. I would imagine uh, four teams regret their decision.
0: Right. Yeah, that sounds like it's about right. Um, okay. So uh, what we talk about? Oh, yeah. So we talked about right field uh, deficit. Uh, the 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 Pirates also have another sort of strange. Um, uh, Issue, or maybe it's been an issue for the first half of the year, and that's p- how their pitchers have hit. And, uh, if I'm to believe right, they're probably the worst in the league, and maybe, I don't know if they're historically bad or not.
1: Yeah, they are historically terrible.
0: Okay. So, so, what does a pitcher usually hit, and where are they hitting?
1: Uh, so the, the league average pitcher hitting Wilba this year is around 150, 155, something like that. The Pirates as a team have a WOBA 90 or 92, something along those lines. Uh, Jeff Sullivan wrote this up on Friday and noted that they are last in the history of baseball of all teams pitcher hitting <laughs> in batting average, on base percentage, slugging percentage, wOBA, and WRC+. Plus. They're last in all of them.
0: Okay, so not excellent, you'd say.
1: Yeah, I think poor might even be. Uh, yeah, poor. I, would I use. you could say yeah. poor You
0: could. You, this would yeah. be one case where the superlative were justified.
1: Right. Yeah, we we do like superlatives here,
0: I Well, they 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 get you traffic, Cameron.
1: And that
0: is why we like. That is <laughs> why we like. But you, uh so, to so, you know. Usually, when we say about a player that he's doing the best he's ever done, right? And uh, I think you wrote this about. Uh, we'll, well, maybe talk about Miguel Cabrera in a second. But you said you, you take a group of people or one player who's at uh, doing better than he's ever done. He's likely going forward to do less that less well than that. That's just how it works. Yeah. Uh, so, likewise, a team that is doing very badly is also likely to. Or the worst, I should say, is likely not to be the worst by the end uh, by the end of things. So we we could say that that's generally the case. Here's one question: Do we have any sense that that's organizational? That that maybe um, I, I honestly I don't even know who the pitching coaches for the Pirates, but that maybe they go ahead and uh, they say, Nah, don't worry about hitting.
1: Uh, well, I think it's possible that I mean you know I think we saw uh, with Felipe Lu and and the those years they were constantly. Uh, among the worst at getting up stolen bases because he told all his pitchers not to bother holding runners. He's like, I just want you to get the batter out. I don't care how many bases they steal. Uh, and that was an organizational decision. That's an organizational decision that's kind of a trade-off though, right? Like you say, okay, uh, I don't mind if the guy steals second base as long as you throw more strikes and get more strikeouts and, you know, that we strand that guy. Uh, when it comes to hitting, you might say, okay, I'm not gonna have my pitchers taking as much batting practice, but what are you having your pitchers do instead of taking batting practice? Watch TV?
0: Well, no, but, uh, no. but the point is that, uh, the point is that maybe injuries can happen when a pitcher is bad. Injuries have happened, uh, oblique injuries, that sort of thing, that are long to heal. And we, maybe, uh, Ray Searidge is the pitching coach. Ray Searidge gets together with Clint Hurdle and they say, yeah, we have decent top end pitching, but after that it gets very mediocre very quickly. And so what we'd like to do is, uh, control that and, and, uh, not, especially with a pitcher like Francisco Liriano, who's been somewhat fragile, say, just don't worry about it.
1: Well, I think, you know, if you were going to try and prove this case, you would have to do that by showing that they just don't
0: swing, right? Like, I don't think there's a
1: higher chance of injury uh making bad contact than there is making good contact. In order to show that the Pirates had made some kind of off and were intentionally choosing outs uh, in order to keep their pitchers healthier, which, you know, hasn't worked. The some Burnett and Wadier are on the DL, and they've had some problems, uh, pitcher health problems anyway. Uh, we'd need to show that they were... Choosing not to flame well, we
0: You know out. who? You know who would do a good job with a post like that?
1: Uh, Jeff Sullivan. Jeff Sullivan. Yeah. Jeff yeah. Sullivan would do a good post like that. My yeah. guess is that you, his conclusion would be Carson's wrong.
0: Yeah. Well, no, no. Oh, oh hey, I, I was just asking questions here. What am <laughs> I? Well, fail-safe... really, anytime
1: we can conclude a post with Carson's wrong, we're going to take that. Chance.
0: We're going to do it. But but I would tell you I have a fail safe technique, which is never to conclude anything in any article that I write.
1: Right, um, which is why you're the lowest traffic rider on Tango. Yeah,
0: that's, well that's a fact. Yeah, that's a fact. Yeah. Yeah, except for when, uh, you you get an R.A. Dickey knuckleball. If you can do that, right. then that's, uh, that's gonna bring it home. Um,
1: Occasionally you, you throw up a monster gift, and that makes up for it.
0: Yeah, it's a, I throw up, yeah. So, uh, alright, what are, Did we talk about the pirates? I guess we did, yeah?
1: I think we talked about every player
0: on the Pirates. We got we got to a lot of them. We well we we overlooked a couple, but did you know that I talked with Jeff Locke? You know Jeff Locke, the left hander for the Pirates. To whom you I, mentioned, I do.
1: He's been uh, what, excellent by results ever since you talked to him, but still mediocre by talent.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's hard to say what's going on with it. But but at that point, he already put up numbers kind of along those lines, and I asked him right. about that, and uh, he said he's more confident. That's what he said. He's, yeah, well, which could just mean he's, maybe he's more willing to challenge batters. I don't know how that would figure into it either. But
1: right. basically, he stole Charlie Morton's hold. because Charlie Morton did this a couple years ago, right? I mean, this is the same
0: oh, same right. team, yeah.
1: same kind of thing. Like it's you know, a high ground ball pitcher with a crazy low Babbit and a crazy high strand rate. Even though ground balls go for hits more often, and you know, it, it's the same idea. I think that you know, like Charlie Morton, Jeff Locks, Dave is a, a number one starter or number
0: Right, that's true. Okay, uh, well let's move. Well, let's talk about that Miguel Cabrera post briefly. Uh, I will say that um, my experience of that post, um, in in retrospect, is colored by my brother-in-law, um, who is a Tigers fan. He's from from Michigan, and uh, he feels very strongly uh, that um, fan graphs, and maybe particularly Dave Cameron is pro Mike Trout and anti Miguel Cabrera.
1: Is he the one who accused me in the comments of being a terrible person and wrote that post solely to inflame the 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 commenters into the debate again? Even though I specifically said that I wasn't making a comparison, um,
0: I don't, He probably was not that person, but he might have been feeling I, that in, in his uh, in his heart of hearts. Right. Uh, the I, point is, I, the, the, well, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I, I understand why people who are Tigers fans would be unhappy with what we wrote last year. Uh, I get it. I think. If they were not Tigers fans, they probably would have a different view of our take on the situation. But given that they have an emotional attachment to the player and that we wrote a lot of things that were not positive about that player, I understand why they might think that we dislike that player. It's not true, but I understand why they think
0: that. Right. and Well, the whole idea, if we can summarize it briefly and then move on, is Mike Trout and Miguel Cabrera were both excellent. It seemed as though, however, Miguel Cabrera was getting... uh, more attention in in uh, sporting media because uh, he was leading in three categories which tend to be uh, popular but are not necessarily the ones that uh, not necessarily the ones that lead most directly to wins
1: yeah i, I think well i mean the reality is that trout and cabrera stopped being about trout and cabrera i mean you know at some point it became very clear that the discussion was no longer about the two players it was about how you analyze baseball and it shifted from being a uh, who should win the AL MVP, to which stats matter. And uh, Miguel Cabrera represented the stats that don't matter, and Mike house represented the stats that we think do matter. Uh, and so, you know, lines were drawn along uh, kind of the, the way you think about baseball, and Trout and Cabrera were just stand-ins for that argument.
0: Okay. Um, it should be noted that uh, literally as we speak, uh, the, the first and second overall players on the uh, war leaderboard for batters are Miguel Cabrera, and Mike Trout? Uh, I
1: think Chris Davis passed him yesterday, didn't
0: he? Uh, not, I, not what I'm looking at right here, unless I'm going back to the to the past.
1: Uh, well, maybe uh, – so I guess the fielding numbers updated on Monday, so maybe uh, right. Davis fell behind him when Trout got some positive bump for fielding or something.
0: Right, right. In any case, it's uh, it's close is the point.
1: It's close, right. Chris Davis is also in the mix, for those wondering.
0: Right, yeah. He's it Actually, they're kind of a bunch of players uh, – Cabrera has, I mean, as much as you can, Cabrera has sort of separated himself from uh, the the pack, or I think as it's called in the Tour de France, which is a, a an event I do not understand, but I believe it's called the Peloton. I believe that's what it's you, called.
1: You don't understand the, the Tour de France?
0: No, I don't. Have you ever watched any, like a, a couple minutes of the, the Tour de France? It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand a couple things. One, they have like races within races. There are sprints that for which you yeah. get points. All right. Do you understand that?
1: I, I understand the concept because I have some friends who are biking nerds. Okay. Uh, so I kind of get the, the structure somewhat. Basically my understanding of the Tour de France is this. Everyone there is using steroids and no one cares.
0: Right, okay. So it's level playing field. But what I don't, so another thing that's hard for me to understand is that the fact that there are a lot of individuals, and you see them, they're clearly individuals, but they're also on teams. Right. And some of them are together and some of them aren't, and then there's one guy they want to win on the team.
1: Yes. So basically you have like a pick crew that follows around the guy who's got a chance to win, and they all draft for that guy and allow him to save energy by hiding behind him. And uh, Right. So there's basically a designated guy who's trying to win on each team, and then the other guy are to support it.
0: Right. And then yesterday, where well, I was watching, and there were four guys who were ahead of everyone else. And they're all on different teams, and they were helping each other with the drafting. One would spend some time up front, and then he'd go to the back. A new guy would spend some time up front. This is a very peculiar.
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of courtesy, right? Like, uh, it's just considered part of the sport.
0: Right, and I guess if you know a lot about uh, um, cycling, this is all second nature to you. But it's a it's a strange thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, mean, you know, it's a, it's an interesting sport, mostly because I can't imagine wanting to do it. Like, it's one of those things that, like, I would like to be able to dunk or to throw a football really well or to, you know, be able to hit a curveball. I cannot imagine having any desire to
0: bike up on But <laughs> Some people are really good at it. I know,
1: but it sounds so terrible.
0: It does. You're right. I agree with you. Although, I will say, I can say this on behalf because my wife wanted to watch some of the tournament. I say some of this on behalf of that event is uh, a sort of um side effect or attendant pleasure of it. Uh, besides the actual sport, is you get some really amazing views, both just of the streets of uh, various places, uh, most recently in Corsica, but I guess they go over to the mainland uh, uh, today or tomorrow. And then, uh, and then you get just like they do these brilliant aerial shots too. It's uh, it, it's fantastic that for that for that reason.
1: Yeah, if only there was a thing called Google Earth that you could get these fantastic views from without any of the effort.
0: Yeah, well, it's true. Now that you think of it, yeah, I might as well just. Hang on to Google Earth. What did we talk? No, we're not done with Melchizedek bear He's better than he's been. He's better than he's been is the point.
1: He's having the best year of his career, and it's not even close.
0: And it, I was looking uh, – I guess this sort of happens with batters, certainly more than it does pitchers, is there's gradual improvement. But his has been um, gradual, but always gradually upwards.
1: Well, he took a slight decline kind of at the end of his Marlins days when – you know, there were questions about his work ethic and his conditioning, and uh, that was one of the reasons the model traded in. He, he kind of plateaued a little bit in his early 20s. Uh, then he went to Detroit and resumed being awesome, and he's been getting more awesome ever since he got there.
0: And uh, about how old do we think he is? Well, wow. uh, I think his list listed age of 30, and I don't think there's any reason to
1: question that. I mean, when he was, like, 17, he looked like he was 12. He Other looked, than he has a, he has, he has a <laughs> bigger guy, but he still has a nine-year-old.
0: Yeah, he's a, he's a young-looking look, chap. Um, right, so he's gotten better progressively, and, and now he's his age 30 season. Um, sometimes people decline at this age. I mean, he is not doing that today, obviously. Um, yeah. it, um, I, I don't know. Is there anything? It, was it just more of a celebratory post, Dave Cameron?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the idea behind the post was to, uh, acknowledge for one that Miguel Cabrera has been far and away the best player in baseball this year. Uh, but also at the same time, you know, I don't, I, I, I feel somewhat bad might be the wrong word. Uh, I don't want Tigers fans like your brother-in-law to think that we hate their best player. Uh, we don't. We, we think he probably shouldn't be playing third base. Uh, we think he's not very good defensively at third base. Uh, and we think Mike Trout was better last year. So what we're really saying is, uh, we think we Miguel Cabrera was the second best player based baseball last year, which does not mean we don't like the guy or we think he's not any good. Um, so, you know, it's not that I was writing that post in order to reconcile with Detroit fans, but at the same time, I don't want Detroit fans to think that is be the best player, because we don't.
0: Right. Yeah. It's almost as though by restating it over and over and over that you're forming that idea, regardless of uh... – it's tough. It's a tough issue.
1: Yeah. I think it's one of those things that you just have to say. You know, I'm pretty sure in my own heart when I do self-analysis that I don't have any negative thoughts towards Miguel Cabrera. And if people are going to decide that I do, there's not a whole lot I can do about that. I mean, you know, people like to accuse writers of bias all the time. It's kind of the crutch for if you don't like what someone says, you just accuse them of being biased so that you can disregard their opinion. Um, You know, I think as long as we can look at ourselves and say, we not biased in this regard, or at least there's no obvious bias that we're picking up on. If we're being honest with ourselves, then then it's okay whatever people think.
0: Well, what biases do you have then? Do you suppose?
1: Uh, I think I'm, I'm biased against uh, terrible players. Like <laughs> I think I think that bad players are worse than they actually are. Like just like the the worst, like Miguel Olivo. He's I mean he's a replacement level guy, but Miguel Olivo is like will drive me insane. I can't watch the guy play baseball. Uh, he's not a good person. He quit on his team. Like, I mean, everything I think about Miguel Olivo is demonstrably negative. So, you know, <laughs> you know he, he had an okay career.
0: Right. And I it probably would have touched you deeper because of the fact that he played for a team that you cheer for most actively.
1: Uh, maybe. I really disliked Miguel Olivo even when he played for other teams. You know, <laughs> I don't think it might be, my hatred of Miguel Olivo. He just really represents everything that I think is wrong with baseball. Like, fundamentally, he's the worst fundamental player I've ever seen. Uh, his hustle is completely false. He dies the first base. Uh, he's just kind of an idiot on the field. I don't know if he's an idiot off the field. He seems like he might be one. On the field, he's stupid. And drives me insane.
0: Well, you, uh, um, uh let's see. Y- yeah, you, I know that, cause I, I, with regard to Chris Davis, actually, I think that you might have at some point in the distant past, I feel like we were at, as a group, a Fangrafts group in Arizona, we were at a Rangers game and you might have said, you might have made one of your uh, slightly hyperbolic comments uh, with regard to Chris Davis. Um, you know, uh,
1: this is, I mean, anything is possible. I don't remember. Uh, I mean, uh, I know that when when he was coming up to the minors, I was of the opinion that Chris Davis was Russell Brins in 2.0. The strikeout rate was so high that it, the power wasn't going to translate into being more than a part-time player. And well, for, you know, four years I was right, and now all of a sudden Chris Davis is awesome.
0: Yeah, well, it's not even that uh, he was go- – I think he was going to be worse than Russell Branion, right? Because uh, I- he might have played third a little – no. Is there a possibility? Yeah, he a third?
1: He, the Rangers used him at a third a while. He wasn't great there, but he was a really good defensive first baseman.
0: Okay, and, and then uh, – but but Russell Branion uh, took a lot of walks was the, the prime difference, and that's not something that Davis was doing early on at all. No, he didn't
1: draw a ton of walks, uh, but I, I don't think my concern was ever really with the walk rate. My concern has always been kind of, uh, or at least the point that I think, if, if I was making one, because I don't remember exactly what I said, uh, I, I, I'm a believer in the idea of a minor league strikeout tipping point, where there's some line at which, uh, if you fail to make contact against minor league pitching, uh, the rest of your numbers just don't matter. Um, I don't care how many home runs you get in the minor league. If you strike out 50% of the time, you're not a major league player. And right. so there's, I don't know exactly what that line is, but Davis' is strikeout rates in the minors We're always in the 30, 35, 40% range. It's probably somewhere in there where if you're striking out more than 40% of the time in minor league pitching, you're, you're toast.
0: Okay. Yeah, but he's not doing that this year.
1: No, yeah, he's gotten a lot better. And he, he is a good example of why this tipping point idea might be totally bunk, like I could be completely wrong. Right.
0: Now, is uh, do you think there's any coincidence that this is Chris Davis' age 27 season?
1: Uh, probably not. I mean, you know, I think we know that players get better until uh, around this time, and so this is probably the best season of Chris Davis' career. Um, I think, you know, there's probably also something to the idea that uh, Buck Showalter has a pretty long history of getting the most out of his players. I think, you know, throughout his track record uh, as a manager, there's always been um, guys you pointed to that he's been able to fix, you know, in some regard. I think you know, Buckshell Walter probably deserves some credit for uh helping Chris Davis discover how to become a really, really good major league hitter.
0: Yeah, he's yeah, he's looking really good at this point. All right, Cameron. Yeah. Did you uh am I omitting anything at this point?
1: Uh well considering we've only talked about three of the thirty teams in baseball, you're omitting ninety percent of all baseball.
0: Hmm. Wow. It's uh lot we've already been talking for like thirty minutes. That's gonna be right. Twenty-seven. That's gonna be what uh, twenty. You know, you know what I'm saying. Nine times. Yes. Nine times 30, I, I can I can
1: hear you trying to do, uh, basic math. Do
0: math. Two hundred seventy minute. Two hundred seventy. Two hundred seventy more minutes. Does that how many more minutes we need?
1: I don't think we want to do a, a three hundred minute podcast. We'll leave that to the baseball perspective.
0: dad Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh. Uh. Well then. Uh, then you're then uh, you've uh, fulfilled your obligation to uh, FanGraphs Audio. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, that's uh, I, I, what's that? You got something?
1: No, no. I was going to thank you for thanking me for thanking you.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, and I could tell uh, listeners of the podcast that uh, I have an interview with Connor Harrell, Connor Harrell from Vanderbilt going up tomorrow.
1: Fantastic. I'm sure the three Vanderbilt fans, including Buster Olney, will be uh, waiting with bated breath.
0: And the Tigers fans. Um, he's a Tigers prospect now, so see, we're going to be appeasing them more too.
1: I'm sure they will find a way to say that I'm biased against this guy. I've never heard of
0: (laughs) Alright, that's that's Dave Cameron, uh, managing editor of Fangraphs. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.